Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 244 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the former heavyweight world title challenger, the man himself, Mr. Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. How are you? Very good. Very good. Um, so, yeah, same as it has been recently. Um, not too much boxing to discuss. There is a little bit to review and preview, though, of course, because boxing has been back on our screens. It's been predominantly at the bubble, this mythical place in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm going to start here with the review part. I'm going to get straight into it here. This card took place last Thursday. So that's Thursday, the the, the 11th of of uh, of June, we're in June now. It seems like every every month seems to just be flying by. But anyway, this one last week, um, Jesse Magdaleno topped the bill. Of course, twenty eight and one now. His opponent Yennefer Vicente. It was a fight I was looking forward to on paper, to be honest. But anyway, his opponent Yennefer Vicente got disqualified in the tenth and final round. His record now thirty six and five with two draws. Um, Vicente was down in the first round and the fifth round, and he had three points deducted um, in round four, which is bizarre. And then he had one point deducted in, I think it was um, round 10. And every single point deduction was from low blows. So it was a real shame. Um, yeah, he just couldn't he couldn't stop hitting Jesse Magdaleno low. Um, that was that. That fight there on the undercard, we we saw Adam Lopez thirteen and two move to fourteen and two, a majority decision win over ten rounds against Luis Correa, um, who's now twelve and three. That one was for the vacant NABF featherweight title. Uh, there was also a draw on the bill between two undefeated prospects, Eric Mondragon, three and zero going in, Mike. Sanchez was his opponent, 6-0. Adelaide Bird was one of the judges. She had it a draw, no surprise. It was a good fight, though, because both men were down in the first round. You know how tricky a four-rounder can be. Two undefeated prospects. One guy goes down first. Straight away, you're thinking, oh, boy, he's got a mountain to climb now. It's a four-rounder. He's lost this round 10-8. But the guy, credit to him, got back up and then dropped his opponent. So, like I say, both men down in the first round. Um... Yeah, that was quite eventful. And there was also a fight card that took place on the weekend at the Havel Studios in Berlin, Germany. Um, Jack Kulkai topped the bill. It was for his WBO International Super Welterweight title. He's now 28-4, and a unanimous decision for him over 12 rounds against Howard Kospolity, who's now 18-8 and with three draws. Um, and of course, let's not let's not miss the uh, the bill that took place, the heavyweight pay per view that took place at the Connery in Poland, topping the bill over here for the vacant Republic of Poland international heavyweight title. Marius Wack, now thirty six and six, a unanimous decision for him over ten rounds against the 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 
American veteran, I guess you can call him, Kevin Kingpin Johnson. Now, 34 wins, 17 losses, and a draw. Um, I I don't know about you, Eddie, but um, Kevin Johnson somehow being made eligible to fight for the vacant Republic of Poland international heavyweight title doesn't sit too right with me. I don't look at Kevin Johnson and think he's he just looks like a typical Polish man. That's just me, though. I don't know about you. I'm with you on it, trust me. <laughs> Kevin Kingpin Johnson. It's a shame he's got 17 losses, to be honest, because he's uh, so much better than I think his record suggests. But anyway, that's that. Um, we should also mention the, the result from this week. It took place on the 16th of 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 um of june this tuesday just gone of course it's getting a little bit confusing now with top rank doing shows on tuesday nights and thursday nights but this one took place just a couple days ago um on the undercard we saw um antonio demarco actually lose a majority decision over 10 rounds to giovanni santelan who's 25 and 0 he's now 26 and 0 um i think santelan has been looked after quite a bit to be honest um to get himself as far as 26 and 0 i think he's been managed very carefully and a lot of people felt like antonio demarco deserved the win but some people calling that a robbery it was very close um and of course topping the bill joshua greer jr um a top ranked prospect a guy that's been on this show before nice guy joshua greer jr they call him i think mr night night something like that he always brings a pillow to the weigh-in um, to, to signal that his opponent's going to go to sleep at some point. Um, yeah, 22-1 and one with a draw going in against relatively unknown Mike Plania, a Filipino fighter. 23-1, and one, his one loss came to Juan Carlos Payano, um, former world champion. No shame in that. It was on points as well. And um, yeah, he beat Joshua Greer. A humongous upset. upset. Um, Joshua Greer, obviously, I think he was ranked number one or number two in the WBO rankings. Well in line for a world title shot. And he's took this fight here, obviously, as a bit of a keep-busy kind of fight during the pandemic. And it's it's bitten him in the backside, unfortunately. Not quite sure how much he got paid. But undoubtedly, he'll he'll lose his ranking there. He was down in the first round and the sixth round. Um, and it was the same shot that he got hit with both times. It was a big left hook from the Filipino fighter who seemed to kind of faint with a jab and then step in with a big left hook. You know what I'm saying? Um, he'd faint kind of with the jab downstairs almost. And then, you know, you know those ones, straight in the temple. And um, same shot, caught, caught Greer out twice. Um, you know, not really known as a power puncher, really, the Filipino either. But... Um, yeah, kind of exposed Greer a little bit. Greer um, has been down a number of times in his career now. It seems a real weakness of his, his chin there. But all the best to him. I'd like to see him come back. Um, of course, the preview part of the show. This one takes place later tonight. Again, at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas. Um, over there, we get to see... Um, it's, it's quite a decent card, I guess. We get to see former world champion Jose Pedraza, 26-3, and three, take on Mikel Lespierre, 26 two and one with a draw if i'm not mistaken i think les pierre's the guy that maurice hooker i think beat i think that's where his one loss came from could be wrong that's a 10 rounder there and on the undercard gabriel flores jr 17 and 0 he's in a 10 rounder against josec ruiz 21 and 2 with three draws um 
on Saturday we've got a, a got got a decent show as well. I think it's also a a Bob Arum show, but it's in Nicaragua. We've got Francisco Fonseca, twenty five and three with two draws. We've seen him in there with the likes of uh, Javante Davis and um, Tevin Farmer, I believe, and he takes on Eusebio Osejo. Um, yeah, it's not a great card actually. Looking at it once again there, and then of course next Tuesday when when um, you know when they're back at the bubble top rank, we get to see a good, a really really good card, probably the best card during this lockdown. To be honest, it's it's Tuesday the twenty third of June. Um, not long to go now till it comes. There's going to be a defence of Andrew Maloney's WBA World Super Flyweight title. I think that I think that's the first world title fight that's actually took place during this pandemic. Andrew Maloney was on the show a few weeks ago, 21 and 0, the uh, the Australian. He puts his belt on the line against Joshua Franco, 16 and 1 with two draws. Um I think the original opponent was supposed to be Oscar Negrete who Joshua Franco's had three fights with. I think he won um I think he won one of them or won two of them. He lost or drew the other one. Can't remember now. Um, so they're very much evenly matched. And this is a very tough fight, actually, for Andrew Maloney on his American debut. So that one, honestly, I hope he wins because he's a friend of the show. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him upset there. And on the undercard, Christopher Diaz, 25-2, and two, is in a 10-rounder against Jason Sanchez, 15-1. and one. That's all the previewing, though. Um, that is the reviewing, of course, as well. No real news to mention. So it's now time for Eddie's lockdown knockdown but i will say i will say we've had a suggestion on a name change eddie um i told you about this mm. obviously a couple of days ago but someone sent mm. in eddie's chamber of secrets and i like that <laughs> i like that too i ain't gonna lie i like that yeah i like that that's nice that's nice kind of like uh got a little bit of the harry potter thing popping off in there but it was <laughs> It's still, it's still nice and it's creative. I like that. I do like that. So we're sticking with the lockdown, knockdown. I mean, I, I you know, you could say lockdown, knockdown. You can put it all together. We could just switch the name for each show, depending on what it's about. <laughs> I really don't care, but I do like the Chamber of Secrets. That is nice. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. Shout out to the Mauler on Twitter. Good guy. Um, right. Yeah, so let's get into it, Eddie. So, um, you know, last week we 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 kind of left it at the around about the uh, the John Sargent fight that you had in in 2004 in June. Um, you know, once again, we're going to try to keep this uh, you know not not too long before we bring in our our sole guest on this week's show. It's going to be another in depth interview this time with Kermit Sintron. Um, and and it's it's a great interview, believe me. So stick around for that. But the story this week, yeah, we left it like I say last week um, around this John Sargent fight. I know that there was um, you know a time that you went down and sparred with Hassim Rackman at this kind of time. Um, I think you sparred with him. I think you were called in for sparring on on two occasions, quite close together, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, let's let's go from there. The John Sargent, uh, the John Sargent fight, like I say, took place in. In the late part of June 2004, after that came your first 10-round fight against Ron Guerrero. Um, yeah, just take the lead, Eddie. What are we going to talk about here? Well, well we're going to go to that. We'll go past that Ron Guerrero fight. There was a few things in that fight that was interesting uh, that I had to deal with. Obviously, camp was as usual, just working hard. But it was my first 10-round fight, so it was a lot of, you know, 
Now, granted, I've had eight round fights and, you know, previous to that. So it was like, you know, it's only two more rounds. But that kind of thing is like now you're entitled contention. Now you're now you're now you're in, in, in the championship level thinking of fighting 10 rounds. You know what I mean? So uh, when I got in there, you know, it was it, it was business as usual. You know what I mean? I remember getting a little tired. You know what I mean? Toward toward the eighth and ninth round, maybe mainly thinking just because, oh, it's a 10 round fight. You know, what I mean? you get a little nervous, you get a little worried about, you know, going that 10 round distance. Plus, it was a tough guy. Like he wasn't going to he wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't going to get him out of there. You know what I mean? He was he was going to stick around pretty much unless, you know, the, re- the referee got an itchy finger. You know what I mean? And wanted to stop it a little early. But no, nah, he wasn't going anywhere. And, um, you know, it was it was it was interesting. It was a good learning experience. But. Not really much to talk about in those in that regard, and then I think I fought Melvin Foster next, if I'm not mistaken. I will just was it real? I will just jump in and say that Ron Guerrero is still active. Right? What? Now. Yes, he is. He's coming off. He's coming off a win. He's currently the American Boxing Federation American West Heavyweight Champion. I've never heard of that belt before, but. Um, but yeah, he's he's still going. He got a win um, uh, back in March of this year against Lorenzo Smith. Um, but yeah, other than that, he actually hadn't won a fight for seven years. But he's back with a bang. Wow, that's un- that's unbelievable. Ron Guerrero's still at it. He's still at it Jeez. at the ripe old age of forty six. Still at it. Hey, well, you know, hey, I guess <laughs> it ain't. He was a tough one, though. He was a tough nut to crack. You know what I mean? He wasn't somebody who was going to go to sleep easy. You know what I mean? So I, I tried, but it just didn't happen. I outboxed him easily, but it, it wasn't wasn't it wasn't as easy it might as it, as it might have looked. And it's kind of crazy because that this kind of puts me and like I fought Melvin Foster after that. That was like a I don't want to say an uneventful fight. I mean I I think I did pretty well with him. Got him out of there. I wasn't five, but um. Going through those stages, I remember I gained, I started to gain weight, not a lot of weight. I didn't, you know, I wasn't overly fat or anything, but it was just, I didn't look the part and I wasn't happy. I think I fought Ron Guerrero and then Louis Monaco, right? Am I right? Yes. And then, I mean, uh, Melvin Foster, then Louis Monaco, or am I wrong on that? No, no, no. It was um, after John Sargent, it was Ron Guerrero, then Louis Monaco. Oh, okay, okay. And then Melvin Foster, right? Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Well, those fights, you know what I mean? And they were, and I remember Louis Monaco was the guy who actually caught Buster Douglas after the bell and stopped him. I don't know if you remember that, but he was the guy who did that. And it was like, it was like a big thing. But anyway, uh, going through that to the uh, fight that I had, it was actually my first, I think, well, yeah, my first televised fight. I'm going to. I'm going to test your knowledge real quick here, Eddie. Um, Luis Monaco, the fight before boxing you, who did he box? Before fighting me? Literally. It wasn't Buster. One month before fighting you. You know, I know it wasn't Buster. I didn't think he, I don't think he fought Buster Douglas then. It was late, you know, when he fought Buster Douglas, but I really don't know. I really, I can't. I'm really not. Malik Scott. I knew you was going to say that. God, I knew you were going to say that. How did I know you were going to say Malik? I, I I just thought, I was like, you know what? It probably was Malik. And then boom, it's here you go. Because he actually, that, yeah, he, he boxed Malik Scott a month before he boxed you. But that was actually their rematch. Malik Scott had beaten him 
um, in 2001, uh, three years earlier, but they had the rematch in 2004 in, in November, strangely enough. But um, yeah, that's what happened there. That's crazy. That is that's incredible to think that he fought us successfully. <laughs> that's weird. Anyway, but yeah. Uh, and, sorry, um, Eddie, sorry to, to jump in again. I I just can't believe when I when I look at some of these guys that you that you fought. Um, you know, like we, we we're talking about Luis Monaco there. You look at their yeah. their resumes, and at the time you boxed him, he's thirteen and twenty eight with four draws. I would just see that name and just scroll past like like he's nothing, right? right. But when you when you actually look at who he boxed, and again, we, we did this on last week's show, it's unbelievable the people that this guy boxed. I mean, do you want me to take you down memory lane real quick? Yeah, a little bit. Let's, let's, let's hear it. So I want to hear it. He wins his first fight on a split decision over four rounds. He's 1-0. and in his, very, in his second fight, he gets knocked out in a round by Butterbean, right? Then... He comes back with a draw, then he loses, then he gets another draw, gets a couple of wins, another loss. Then he beats, by KO in five rounds, Peter McNeely, yeah? Then, which is just crazy. Peter McNeely at the time was 40-2. and two. Um, You know, it was, it was uh, a year after the Mike Tyson fight. And uh, yeah, he beats yep. Peter McNeely, so he's the, he's the uh, the first man to beat McNeely after after Mike Tyson did. After after McNeely, he, he loses to Trevor Burbick, then to Michael Grant. Um, yep. He boxes Jeremy Williams, loses to him in three rounds. Then he comes back out of nowhere and beats an undefeated Kevin McBride. Yeah, <laughs> he knocks <laughs> him out in five rounds with him as well. Then he comes back and yep. beats Michael Dokes. Right, <laughs> and uh, and then and then of course that's when he he gets uh, disqualified in in the first round for hitting Buster Douglas after yeah as you said, but then you know a few yeah. fights later he's back against Lawrence Clabe he's back against he boxed Vitaly Klitschko then Monty Barrett then Lamont Brewster all in a row. This guy boxed everyone: Maurice Harris on the record, Ross Purity. Um, yeah, Malik Scott twice, like we say, yourself. Um, boy, oh boy. Everyone. Everyone. Incredible. Yeah, he was tough. I remember, I think I dropped him. Or some, I forget, something like that. I can't remember what happened, but I think I dropped him. I got cut in that fight, too. I got cut. I remember at some point in that fight, I remember getting cut. and But I beat him, obviously, very easily. But I think, I don't know if I dropped him or something happened. I know I got cut. It might have been, I think he headbutted me or something. You know, it's one of them things. But anyway, but yeah, he was a tough guy. He wasn't just going to roll over. You know what I mean? He had to get him out of there or beat him down. Yeah. You know, but anyway, yeah, but anyway, thanks for taking me back down memory lane, making me think of, you know what's funny about a lot of this? And I'm mentioning a lot of these guys, and I'm saying, oh, these guys really, and I'm not trying to say they weren't nothing. That wasn't the case. It was just, I'm on the upswing. And these guys are just they're just trying to make a living, to be honest. They're not necessarily in it to win it all the way. I mean, they're hoping they get a opportunity to win it. Like I said, they'll try for a round or two. And if it doesn't seem like it's gonna work, like if the guy's too good, they 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 chalk it up. You know what I mean? But the idea of the amount of talent that these guys have been in the ring with, I mean, listen, they could tell their grandkids, look, I fought this guy, I fought that guy, and le- and legitimately have a say and say that I'm I look, I was a professional professional. My record wasn't great, but but at the at the at the same time, I was in there with the best there were, 
there was. And if I could have won any of those big fights at any point, maybe things are different. You know what I'm saying? Maybe somebody gets behind me and starts to give me a winning streak. Who knows? I may end up winning a real title. And that's the difference. You know what I mean? That's the difference between these guys and these situations they're in and then guys like myself. Exactly. Who, trust me, I didn't come. But listen, I didn't come from a great place to say, oh, there's a lot of talent up there. Don't get me wrong. There, have, there was a good amount of talent around me. But for me to be the leading candidate of the talented dudes coming from my area, just no nobody really would have expected that, especially being a heavyweight. You know what I mean? It's just not like But anyway. Again, I just want to jump in and say, um, you know, we're speaking there about Ron Guerrero, and I mentioned along the way that that Ron Guerrero um beat who who did I say? No, sorry, not Ron Guerrero. Luis um, Monaco. Oh, yeah, Luis Monaco. Oh, I'm getting yeah. a little bit confused. Obviously I said that he beat Kevin McBride. So you beat Luis Monaco. He beats Kevin McBride. McBride beat Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson beat Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes beat Muhammad Ali. You're at the top of the tree there, man. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> I like how you did that. That's nice. That's, that makes me feel really good about myself and my career. Thank you. <laughs> Even though we know there's a lot of different things that came, in, that came into play with that, but whatever. You know what I mean? I'm taking it. I'm taking it, Joey. I am taking it. Thank you. <laughs> We got to get back to this, back to the story. It's going to be a quick one. We're not going to go too long. I apologize. And of course, no, 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 no. It's not. I, no, you don't have to apologize. I'm thanking you for that. <laughs> Listen, has not has been good, but it's not what I wanted it to be. But if I let you tell it, who knows? I may be in the hall. You know what I'm saying? Who knows? So I, I appreciate that, Joey. You know what I mean? But um, those fights, those few fights. Uh, I, I recently said I started to gain, like, I don't say gain weight, but I, I at one point I had gotten my weight really nice and manageable around 209. And this was previous to, you know, these these uh, more recent times or when I was, you know, fighting for the title and all that. So I had did it and I was really, 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 really um like really, uh, what's the word I look for? Disciplined. On, in that aspect with my diet mainly. Obviously the training, you don't got to worry about that. I'm, I was training like a maniac with my dad there. But, you know, things get away from you and and you start to, you know, live life, even if you're training, even if you're working, even if you're focused. And when it started to happen, I noticed that my weight had started to come up a little bit and I didn't look as I wanted to. And the funny, funny enough, I was still in great shape, but I had a fight coming up and a fight that was made through the Blue Horizon. And it was uh, actually I think at that point it was the first Blue Horizon televised card in a long time. Because they used to have a lot of televised fights with, you know, uh, ESPN and USA when they had uh, USA Tuesday night fights or Friday night fights or whatever they had back in the day. They did a lot of them at the blue. They did some at the blue. And ESPN decided to put this card together and put me on the undercard. I can't remember who the main event was. I know you probably know, Joe, if you look at the if you look at the card. But um, I was fighting Ross Purity and Ross Purity was the first guy, if I'm not mistaken, to beat Vladimir Klitschko. Yes, he was. Now we all know, yeah, he was. Yes, yeah, I'm saying so. We all know Vladimir in the early part of his career. Even though he was extremely talented and extremely athletic, he had a little issue with his, uh, I don't say his conditioning, but um, and Ross Purity was known. Nobody's taking Ross Purity out. He's got a granite chin, and he's he's tough. He's strong, and and, and he's he's there. He's there to you know he, he he comes to win. 
even if he knows for the most he knows for the most part he's not going to. You know what I mean? Um, he still comes and gives a good go of it. And he did that with Vladimir, and Vladimir got tired. And I think it was what the tenth or eleventh round of that fight, yeah, which was a championship right. fight. Yeah. He ended up exhausting them completely, exhausted. Ends up stopping him. Wins wins Vladimir's. Uh, I think I can't remember what title it was, but I know it was a world title that he no, won. It was just an international belt at the time. Well, yeah, well, I mean, well, international. You know, you know what it is. I, we all know that's international. It's not a WBC, WBC title. It's the it's the international. So so it's not quite the 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 world title, but beating a guy like Vladimir Klitschko at the time, you know, he's an up and coming, an up and comer. You know what I mean? That's, that was a big fight for him. So we look at his history and I'm thinking, first of all, this is my first TV fight. And I'm looking like, damn, man, I'm fighting this guy. It's got to be Vladimir. And they telling me, you know, different things you hear, you know, it's not my people who are telling me I need to be really careful and, and, and worried about this guy. What I'm hearing from my people is, man, this guy ain't nothing. You're going to go in there. You're going to take care of business like you always do. You know what I mean? Handle your business and go, and we're going to go home with this win. But, you know, in my mind, I'm looking at his history. And remember, like I told you, everybody's always trying to knock the guy down before the fight. Remember, we talked about that. And after the fight, then they try to build him up as to be the greatest fighter ever. You know what I mean? That you just beat. But the reality of it is, I'm thinking in my mind, I can't discredit what this guy's done, even though. You know, he's lost the majority of his fights or some of his fights. He has been in fights and always finishing on his feet, always in the fight because he's a big puncher. So all these things are going through my mind. You know what I mean? We didn't have all of the Wi-Fi and all that. So I had made my ring walk and it was different. There was no music. There was nothing going on because it was all about the TV fight. It was all about the, you know, the TV. We were all, that's the only thing we were concerned about. So it wasn't, there was no music. It was no nothing. He was already in the ring. I go out to the ring and then we're standing there, which seemed like forever. It might have been like it seemed like maybe 15 minutes. We were standing in the ring and we get in the ring. And normally I'm used to going around the ring, doing my normal thing, checking the ropes like my dad always taught me to do. And instead, I'm looking at the ground and it's like wires everywhere. Like like literally like snakes, like you can't put your foot there. You put your foot, you twist the ankle, fight over or you're going to really struggle in this one. You know what I mean? So I'm like, damn, you literally had to get in and stand in one spot till they did all their pre-fight stuff, all of the talk, whatever, who was ever doing the, um, the, the, you know, whatever the talk was going, it was going, you know, with the, with the, um, with the network and we we're just standing there and I'm like, man, this is crazy. I've never been involved in anything like this up to this point. And I'm looking across the ring and there's this big six foot three, six, four massive dude and he, you know business on his his usual face like not looking nervous not looking worried but just looking like menacing to me and i'm and all of these things are going through my damn he fought klitschko no he beat klitschko he didn't beat this guy oh man what you know what's going and all this stuff is going through my mind and and these times you got to go back and you got to look at what you've done you know what i'm saying you gotta you gotta kind of boost yourself up and you gotta understand look you know what i mean this is this is what you're this is what this is what you basically are doing it for. You want this kind of competition. Look who I've been in the gym with. Look who I've sparred and beat up. You know what I mean? On my way here. You know what I mean? These Those guys were better than him. They're, they're more heralded than he is. I should be able to get in here and handle business. And eventually, like I said, the closer that the fight comes to the end, the, uh, when they announce the names and all that stuff, that stuff starts to fade and it just becomes business as usual. You start getting more ferocious as 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 you get closer to the fight, and then boom, 
And I remember getting in there. I, and, I, and I was like, I was, you know, a little, a little nervous, a little worried. Cause you're thinking about the power. You don't want to get caught. You don't want to get knocked out for your first loss on TV in front of all these people. But um, I'm in there and I started to realize, you know, midway through uh, maybe like the first round. I mean, this guy's just, you know, he he's strong. He's tough and he's he's there, but he's not special. There's nothing like that he's throwing that is really like shocking. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'm fast, I'm moving and, and I'm, and I'm making him, you know, have to kind of stalk me, you know what I mean? But I'm not moving like I'm running. I'm just moving circles around him, circles around him. You know what I mean? Kind of like I did with Samuel Peter later on. We ain't talking about that right now. Um, but he, his footwork wasn't terrible. Like he understood how to get to you. You know what I mean? But I have my hands up, you know, my head, my upper body movement was pretty good. Obviously at that time, it's better now than it was then. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, and I, I, I'm not giving myself enough credit at that time because I'm still in, in the process of like, I don't want to take punches flush on my body because these guys are too powerful. If they hit me and hit my, my, my hands, I mean, my body with these, uh, with these little gloves on, man, they're going to break me in half. You know what I mean? I'm thinking that in my mind, not thinking about all of the work and, and all of the strength work I did, all of the things that I've done to get to this point. I'm just consistently knocking myself down. And then he starts to throw a few shots and I just catch them like I would if I was in the gym and it didn't feel like anything. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, this guy, I guess he punched hard, but it didn't really, it didn't really bother me. And I remember he hit me with a clean shot. Boom. And I remember uh, when I watched the replay of it, I think Teddy was on there at the time too. Teddy, Oh, it was a good shot. You gotta be careful. You can't stand in front of a guy, a puncher like that or whatever. And I remember taking a shot and I'm, and 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 they and everybody got all and they got all excited. I'm like, I didn't even feel that. I remember hitting me right in the head, boom. And I didn't even feel it. Like I don't, I didn't feel like you know you know you know you get hit with a shot. You know sometimes you get with a really good shot, you'll you'll know, damn, I'm dizzy or I'm hurt or or my legs got a little weak or or something from the effects of it. I didn't feel anything. And I'm like, oh man, so it's maybe just maybe I am a little tougher or maybe I'm a little better than I thought I was. And as the fight starts to go on you know, you get more and more confidence, you know, and, and, and I'm outboxing them. I'm hitting them with counter shots. I'm doing the things that, you know, I've practiced, if, you know, time and time and again. And then I'm going back to the corner, hearing my dad chew me out, even if, even if I do good. So, and, um, but in my mind, I'm so focused on this fight that I'm sometimes not even hearing what's going on in the corner. You know what I mean? You do get that tunnel vision at times and you're just not seeing or hearing or anything almost. He's just thinking about what you're going to do. You know what I mean? And in, in, in the training and what you've done, you know, thousands of times takes over. You know what I mean? If you're in good shape. And um, I just remember going through the fight and 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 everything went as I expected it to went to a decision. You know, obviously, I wasn't going to stop that guy in, in the way he in the way he was um, he was careful. And, you know, he gave me he gave me work. He made me understand. You know, I, I learned a lot in that fight. You know what I'm saying? I learned a lot. He helped me understand what it is to fight at that kind of a level. You know what I'm saying? And this, don't get me wrong. He wasn't, you know, elite, elite, you know, at that point. And he was kind of on his, on a downswing, but he was still always there. You know what I mean? But he, he kind of said, this is the kind of thing you're going to run into when you fight big heavyweights and, and, and guys like this going forward, there's going to be guys that you can punch on all night long and they're going to be able to take it and keep coming at you. And you just got to be able to use what you have skill wise to, you know, carry the night. And, and then not only that, after the fight was over, he gave me great reviews. He said, 
you know, he said some great things about me and told me like, you know, you move really well. You do this. You're 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 a championship level fighter. But and we had talked about Vladimir a little bit at length afterwards at the blue. And he was like, listen, I, I you move great. You're an excellent fighter. You're probably, you know, one of the better talented fighters I've fought. But if you ever get an opportunity or not say opportunity, if you ever get put in position to have to fight Vladimir Klitschko, he said, delay it as long as you possibly can and avoid it if you can, unless you have no choice. Because I, I you know, it's like he, was almost, he was basically saying, I don't care how well you move, that guy is a monster. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> it is coming from the guy who beat him. You know what I mean? You would have thought he would have said something else. But he was like, he said, that guy is as advertised even 10 times over. Like he said, he he is, you know, he lost that fight. And, you know, I, you know, I exhausted him. I did what I was supposed to do. But he was said, if I had to fight him again, I wouldn't fight him again. He said, even if I beat him, I still wouldn't fight him again. And I said, damn. Then he told me about some of the politics that went on along with, you know, because he had got that title from him and he had an, and he had a, uh, I think he had defended it or something at one point, or he did something with it, I can't remember, and they ended up stripping him. You know, because he's, you know, being a champion or having a title, you got to have some kind of, you got to be able to put people in the seats. So it's like when John Ruiz won his title, you know what I mean? And I'm just kind of going into this to kind of show you what I'm talking about. It's like people didn't really 100% want him with the title, you know, because he like the quiet man. You know what I mean? There's really not a lot to to look for beside the fact that he's the first Spanish, I think, heavyweight champion. I think first from from uh, Spanish, Spanish descent. I think. Is that, am I correct on that, uh, Joey? Um, I am think. not sure. I'm not sure. I know. Um, obviously, Andy Ruiz he's, became the first Mexican, but I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe he was but, the first Hispanic. Maybe. Yes, he was. He was because he beat Evander Holyfield, I think. For any and, and I think Evander had the belt at the time, and he beat him. And I think he was the first Hispanic. Yeah, I think he was. Sure, I remember watching the fight at a friend's house. But anyway, people, uh, him having the belt, though he was a Hispanic, the first Hispanic heavyweight, was a big thing. And you know, it, it's like it wasn't exciting. He was the originator of the jab and grab. You know what I mean, John Ruiz. A lot of people didn't really like his style. So him having the titles wasn't like ah. Uh, got to watch that heavyweight fight with him on you know what i'm saying so you want him to lose the title so there'll be all kind of different things that'll happen and you know you'll you'll try to force him into fights that you know he's not going to win and you know things like that i mean this is just the politics of it this is how you get people out of position it's like when you when you look at me it's like when you look at me my career a lot of my career right that i was always getting put in fights that 90 percent of people it was outside of my crew would have thought I was going to lose. And the only thing that kept me going toward that title was that I kept on winning. I just found a way to win, whether I dominated the guy or whether I stopped. The, it, 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 I had to do something special to win the fight because if they, if it was up to them, I wouldn't have been in that position. So they just kept putting roadblocks that were too supposed to be too big for me to go through. You know what I mean? And, and he kind of explained how that happens and how that works a little bit. Now, we didn't have a whole lot of time to talk, but he kind of let me know some things. And then going from there, I had a different understanding of boxing than, you know, what um, what I had before him. Now, granted, Monty Barrett and and, and different guys who I've talked to and, and had relations with kind of get, you know, give you a little bit here and there. But when you actually talk to a guy who's been on the real bad side of it, you know, he'll let you know. And it's like, oh, oh, I see. 
So this is what I got to expect, you know, going forward with boxing. Or at least I hope I don't. That kind of thing, you know what I mean? But anyway, it was a great opportunity. But I'm, I'm going to go through this pretty quick. After that fight, I had to watch the replay of it. And when I watched the replay, I remember before I said I gained a little weight. <laughs> a little, you know, my, my, my weight wasn't, well, I don't say gained a little weight. It was a little bit. It wasn't nothing, nothing major. But my body didn't look the way I liked it. And then I looked at this fight. Now, this is a televised fight. You know what I mean? Nationally televised. So I'm looking and I see it and I was just disgusted. I was so disgusted. I was so disgusted with how I looked that I fought on Tuesday. I was running on Thursday. I was out on I was on the track running on Thursday. They I begged my dad. I begged him. And, you know, you normally don't have to beg him to do anything workout wise, but I begged him to go to the gym. No, we ain't going to the gym. You are taking this rest of this week off. And I and, I, and this is the first and that's one of the first times I ever heard him say anything like that. And, and this of all times, I'm like, are you kidding me? I want to work out and you won't let me work out. He's like, no, you're not working out until Monday. Eddie, And that's it. And I'm sitting there like, man, I got to do something. So I'm going out. I'm running. And after the fight, I think maybe a a month or so after we had got a call to uh to go help Hassan Rahman because and this kind of goes into a situation where a couple of years before I think or a year or so before I had I had the opportunity to go to Hassan Rahman in Bali for his fight with John Ruiz and it was kind of all tied to the Monty Barrett camp situation and they because they had the same managers so they kind of had you know oh, we'll, we'll have Eddie come down and spar with him because you know, he was good work for Monty. So, you know, so I went and worked with Rock. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, first time I met him wasn't the greatest time. He was not the best person to be around at that, that time. Whatever was going on with his team and personal things, uh, he just wasn't a good person at the time. He had a, he had a crazy attitude. Like when I went up, walked up to him, this is Sim Rockmoth, heavyweight cha- former undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. I'm like, yo, I want to go up and talk to this guy. I want to shake his hand. Boom, I put my hand out to shake his hand. He basically gave me the dead foot the dead hand and it was like, yeah, it was something. It just walked past me. I'm like, damn, I guess he just suspected to knock me out. But then I had an attitude. So I go in there and we spar and I felt like I did well, really well. And then I'm also finding out through that, that scenario that they have us doing five minute rounds. I'm like, hold up. And I'm fresh off a fight. You know what I mean? I'm like, damn. So I'm, I'm fine with it because like I said, I'm fresh off a fight. I'm good. I'm in good shape. But I mean, they have a head as doing five minute rounds. We, because we had, we didn't have a, a proper bell or a three minute, you know, clock sitting right there at ringside. So Steve, my brother, who was taping, and we were taping this sparring, who started taping it, was like, "Yo, man, they they want five minute rounds." I don't, and I, I didn't really don't know what their aim was with that. I don't think it was anything, you know, uh, any malice intent or anything, anything like that with me. Like they were trying to get him to hurt me or get me tired. I think it was more for him. And what he was going to be, you know, facing and, you know, just I don't know, just for just for conditioning aspects for him. But it just it, it, it just didn't work out. So I think I sparred him one time. I did really well with him. And they just I remember him, you know, having comments the first time, like, man, because I was switching southpaw. I was doing all this different stuff that I normally do. And he was like, man, you know what to do? Switch yourself, Paul. You know, you got a runner down here, man. I ain't fighting Roy Jones. I'm fighting John Ruiz. Why y'all bring him down here? And he was upset with them and his managers because they brought a fighter like me up there, which in every sense of the word, he is 100% right. I was not the guy to bring up there to fight, to spar, because my style is nothing but frustration for a guy like him or for any fighter, to be quite honest. And it's like, 
Why are you doing that when he and then he fought that Saturday and this was Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday. And I'm like, and I'm, and I, and so, I mean, the more you think about it, the more he was correct, even though he was being a bit of a jerk about it at the time. I understand why you understand. So fast forward to us after the Ross purity fight, we get the call because of that particular camp and how they were so pleased with obviously how well I did with him, but angry at the same time, because he ended up losing the fight with John and, um, he's getting ready now to fight Monty Barrett, which is one of my old friends and guys I've been in the camp with, but they call me and they say, Hey, look, I need you for this, for this camp. Could you come out? So they talk to my people and, you know, of course me, and I'm going to Vegas from Philly and everybody knows how much I love flying. So, you know, I don't want to go, but eh, I got to do it. Plus I remember how nice of a guy. So this time, obviously they didn't still have the same manager at this time. I'm guessing. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% certain, but I'm, oh no, I'm, I'm sure they did. I don't think they did. Uh, he might've been, I think he might've been managing himself by then because at this point, Rockman, you know, was a little, you know, it's a little different at this now. I think he had, I think, I, I can't remember when he fought Lennox. I think that was after, but all of these things, um, you know, him, I don't even remember. I, no, no, he fought Lennox before that. What am I saying? But anyway, he's, he's, he's just in a different place now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's got himself back together and he's about to fight Monty Barrett. So they called me out and uh, I don't think he had the same managers though. Um, and I talked to him when I, when we landed in, in, in Vegas, I'm sitting there thinking like, man, I don't want to go to this guy's camp, man. This guy was, you know, he was this, he was that. And, you know, he wasn't what I, what I expected. He, you know, he's a champion, former champion, blah, blah, blah. And he had this attitude and, but, you know, I, and I talked to his people. It was like, and I was like, man, you know what's what's good what's, what's up he's like oh yeah man you know rock's looking forward to talking to you and meeting you man he he wanted to talk to you uh, about what's gonna happen and just in general and uh he was real uh pleased that you would come out to camp because you know you did so well with him and you helped him you know not helped him but you did well with him in the, at the first time so he wants to he wants that kind of work and he needs it for this particular fight so i'm sitting there like well that's not i'm not expecting him to be that way but whatever and i end up meeting him and hanging out with him. And I'm like, man, this is one of the coolest dudes ever. What happened? Like, what happened in the other camp? What was wrong with him? I wanted that. And I and I even talked to him about it. I was like, yo, what was wrong? Yo, he's like, yeah, man, it's just, I was having managerial props. So that, that, that obviously tells you that he probably obviously didn't have the same manager at the time because he was in Vegas. And at that time, he was up in, um, I think they were, uh, you know, they were in New York somewhere. But um, he was like, yeah, I was just going through a lot with the management team, um, personal stuff going on in my life. And it just, you know, I wasn't really properly prepared for this fight and I knew it. And he said, you just like was the like you just put it on 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 the center of the screen, basically, for me to see that I wasn't because you just did everything you wanted in there. And I'm supposed to be getting prepared for a fight that Saturday against a, a world championship level guy. I should be better prepared. I wasn't. And that's why I ended up losing. And he, and he even mentioned he said I wasn't right for that fight. And he said, my mental was just out of place too. So, but he said, this time I'm good. And and the sparring is going to be a whole lot different. But of course, in my mind, I had other ideas, mm-hmm. but I, I, I will say that we had some good sessions, like really good sessions, like him as a person. And I'm going to tell you, this dude was calling people about me, talking about, yo, cause he was so, he was so supportive of what I, what I, you know, my skills is just like the way I could fight. He was like, yo, man, forget and this, at, this, at this time, these guys were, you know, named guys like, he said, man, forget Calvin Brock, man, Samuel Peter, who, 
this dude right here beats them all easily with one hand tied behind his back. I'm like, damn, you know, he, I mean, he on the phone with like big people, like dudes that he, you know, his people. And I'm sitting there like, man, I don't know what to say to that. You know what I mean? I, you know, I don't want to sit there and act like, you know what I mean? But he was saying all these things. And, and I was like, I just kept thinking like, this definitely is not the same dude that I met in, in uh, AC. You know what I mean? It's a different guy. You know what I mean? And I, and I, you can, un, you can see how situations affect people. You know what I mean? You're in a bad situation with your manager, with your wife or whatever. It can just affect your performance on so many levels and your attitude toward people who don't even know what's going on. And he kind of really, really gave me insight on the first time you meet people is not always the time to, to meet them. You know, maybe, maybe you give them a second chance. You know, obviously the first impressions are, are lasting a lot of the time. But if you give somebody a chance, they can actually turn out to be really good people. And he was a really, really good dude. And I mean, this dude come to my fights, invited me, you know, all kind of different things. He's, he, was a, he was a really, really good dude. And I was happy to help him, even though he beat Monty Barrett, who was a good, another good friend of mine. I was happy to help him, you know, get ready for a fight after he was the person that he, well, he actually showed me who he was, as, really it was as a person. So, but, um, but it was a great camp. And in this, and and before, you know, when I came from the um, the Ross Purity fight, like I told you, I was a little heavy, and I had trained. Now this was this camp was in May, if I'm not mistaken. I had trained from that moment after the Ross Purity fight, all the way to that particular point, that camp, through that camp. Then after Sims camp was over, after Rock's camp was over, I went back home, and there was another camp that they called me to go spar. Because I had to fight then September 9th of uh, that follow of that of that 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 September night of following month after the August when I went back home from Hassan uh, Rockman's camp. You know what I'm saying? So I had been training for what May, June, July, about five months, five months, and it was hard every bit of it. And we were in Vegas training at Rock's camp in the summer <laughs> in Vegas. In the summer, dry heat, like like to a point where we had to run at five in the morning, not because we wanted to get up early to run, to be out before everybody. No, because we had no choice. Because if we got up at any later than five in the morning to run, the sun was going to be out. And if the sun was going to be out, you're going to die trying to run out there. That's how hot it was. It was 110, 115 degrees. If we tried to walk to the store at noon, that your ass was in trouble. You know what I mean? So... And I believe me, my man, my manager's son, who was a good friend of mine at the time, was we walked to the store. He almost didn't make it, almost passed out on the, on the, on the, on the, on the sidewalk. So, you know, those types of things. And, and, and I trained all through that time just because I saw myself after <laughs> after that Ross Purity fight. But, you know, things like that happen. And, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have made that the reason for me training so hard. You know what I mean? It should have just been because I need to. I just need to be in shape. I just need to be right. I need to be focused. I didn't want it to be. A, I sh- it shouldn't have been a fat camp, but that's essentially what it was. After that fight, it was like a fat camp. Like I'm getting all this weight off, and I did it again later on. But I, I just, I just, I really, I really feel like it's important to get your body right. But I, but I really needed to really focus on just the diet aspect of it more so than the training. And I'm not gonna go into the next fight yet. I'm gonna wait till. I guess we're gonna have to wait till the next episode. But I'm going to tell you what happened in that particular fight that came up. 
And I'm going to tell you why it happened and, and why the training I did, even though, though it was good and it was, you know, it was, it was for a good cause, probably wasn't the best idea. Okay. Cliffhanger ending there from Eddie. So that is episode three of the Lockdown Knockdown slash Eddie's Chamber of Secrets, whatever you want to call it. Again, we're still open. We're still open for suggestions. So there you have it. We've gone through, uh, you know, a couple of stories there, obviously mentioning the, the Ron Guerrero fight that the first 10 rounder that Eddie, that Eddie had at the time. Uh, we, we talked there briefly about Louis Monaco and his, uh, or Louis Mon- Monaco, I should say, and his crazy record. Um, yeah. Ross purity when Eddie beat the guy that, that beat, uh, of Vladimir Klitschko, a young undefeated Vladimir Klitschko, I think was 24 and 0 with 21 KOs at the time of that fight. And then, of course, we mentioned there the two training camps with Hassim Rackman, the former heavyweight world uh, world champion. Uh, the one where the initial one where he wasn't not, he wasn't the nicest guy, and uh, you know Eddie probably sparred even better, even meaner because of that. And uh, when he come back the next time, when they called you back the next time, totally different guy, very welcoming, and uh, probably quite humbled as well. So there we have it. That is the the, the episode three, like I say, from Eddie, for the the story time thing. Um, And yeah, just before we, we, we wrap up all the talking, the final thing to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF welterweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Kermit Sintron. Kermit, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you, man. How's everything with you, man? All good, my friend. Obviously, crazy times for us all, but um, all good for me. How about yourself? Not too bad, man. Just just home, uh, doing some home projects. (laughs) Wifey has me working, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Kermit, I want to start with... um, you know, with you, with your early life here, and obviously discuss the the boxing part after that. Um, what what happened before before I guess boxing kind of came and uh, and, and saved you in some respect? I feel like it's important to to inform our listeners, especially our UK listeners, of of your backstory, which is um, very very tragic. Actually, you were born obviously in in Puerto Rico. Of course, you. Uh, do you have good memories? You know, happy memories of your time back home when you were a kid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, uh, I mean, well, my family and I, we, we were close. Uh, we still are, um, uh, you know, tragedy happens. Um, it's, it's part of life, but, uh, you know, definitely good memories. Uh, you know, I, I remember just, uh, parents taking me to the beach all the time, uh, going to the, uh, to the small, uh, side road restaurants and grab something to eat, you know, um, family uh gatherings as birthdays and stuff like that um yeah so i had had good good memories i from what i remember uh you know as a kid i you know i lost my mom when i was eight years old and my dad by the time my dad passed away i was already in the united states uh and that time i was uh, 12 years old um but yeah I, i had some good memories uh you know my my family uh actually my my father's side of the family we are still close we still keep in touch and all that yeah, that's that's good to hear. Like I say, um, you know, my question was going to be how how young were you when your mother got ill? Um, you, you answer there that you were eight when when your mother passed away, which obviously was was due to cancer. Now that's when your 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 father sent you to the states. Um, 
correct me if I'm wrong. So you went to you was in Pennsylvania when when your father sent you there, right? That is correct. Okay. So you went to live with your uncle, who of course was um, was a boxing contender himself, un- Uncle Benjamin. Um, yeah. So your father kept in contact with you, of course. He was back home still, and then um, you you were twelve when when you lost him to a heart attack, right? That's correct. Okay. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, so like I say, very, very tragic beginnings there. Um, you know, you first start boxing as an amateur at the age of, of 19, if I'm not mistaken, which is pretty late, um, to be honest. You only had 29 amateur fights, Kermit, if I'm not mistaken. Did you enjoy the amateur game at all? Um, it was okay. Um, I mean, I, I didn't do much in the amateurs. Uh, you know, I, I know I have won the Golden Gloves um, for Pennsylvania the one year. Um uh, but other than that, um, you know, it was uh, it was a learning. It, it was I was I was learning. You know, it was a learning uh, experience for me. Uh, as you said, you know, I started late in the amateurs. Uh, a lot of tournaments that I've that I've um, I've done uh, in the amateurs, uh, like the national pals and stuff like that. Those guys were you know had over a hundred uh, fights. Uh, so you know the experience for me wasn't there, but uh, you know I had I had some good times. Yeah, and getting onto your pro career, you made your debut October seventh, two thousand, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, your first fight, you actually boxed a southpaw. <laughs> Do you remember much of your debut? <laughs> I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't remember him being a southpaw, but um, you know it was a it was a, actually a fighter from um, I think he was from Ohio and. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not, I'm, I don't remember much of him, but uh, I know he was a a, um, a tough opponent. Yeah, yeah, Jesse Williams um, is his name. Yeah, from uh, from Ohio. You're right. Yeah, Youngstown. Okay. Um, I'm gonna fast forward now to to May the first, um, 2004. Obviously, by this point, you're 22 and 0 with 20 KOs. You're boxing former world title challenger Elio Ortiz in Atlantic City. Now, Elio Ortiz was a big puncher as well. Um, you managed to KO him in in just six rounds. At that point, that surely must have been your your biggest career win at the time. Uh, yes, he he actually was. Uh. And when it comes to experience, uh, he had the most experience um, from one of the fighters from, from before. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good, it was a good fight. It was a good performance. It was a good uh, good name under under my belt. And um, you know, your your next fight obviously would be against against um, against Teddy Reed for the NABF welterweight title and and the interim. Um, WBO welterweight title winner in a fight that ends in a knockout win for yourself in eight rounds. Now, last week we spoke to um, we spoke to Nate Campbell, former world champion, and he talks about how hard um, Teddy Reed could punch. I think they they shared a sparring session once. He said he could really punch, but um, you got your man out of there. Um, do you remember much about that fight? There, could he punch? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, he was actually the the biggest puncher. Uh... Of my career till I fought, um, uh, the heck is his name? Um, uh, he's from the Philly area. Um, just re- just a recent fight, not too long ago, like maybe uh, uh maybe two years ago. Um, but uh, Taylor was the it was a, he was a good puncher, definitely. You know, I just I, that that night I just I was just I was just on on point with everything that I've worked on in the gym. Um, you know, that's the camp that I had at, at Ali's camp. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, Deer Lake, oh, wow. which was a pretty ex- 
you know, interesting, exciting, uh, very motivated, um, motivated, you know, atmosphere. Um, and I, yeah, it was a, definitely a great experience for me. Uh, it was a hard uh, training camp as it was for my, you know, my first world title fight. Um, and yeah, coming to the ring, you know, I just, everything was just on point, you know, um, I brought my A game, uh, everything that my trainer, we worked on in the gym and the camp, uh, it all, it all worked, it all worked that, that night. And so it was, uh, it was probably, probably, I want to say one of my best performances. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And of course that win there got you your shot at the full WBO world title, uh, world title, um, Antonio Margarito being the champion, April 23rd, 2005 being the date. However, it wouldn't be your night. You were served up your first career loss by KO in the fifth. Um, tell us what you recall from that night that I guess you probably don't look back on with the fondest of memories. Uh, well, you know, it's just, it's just the fights that, that you learn from. Um, you know, uh, that's a fight that I, Coming out of, from the, uh, the Tater fight, you know, I had broken my hand. I had surgery um, after that. So I should have, you know, really had taken a, a tune-up fight. Um, but uh, me being a fighter, a very competitive um, type athletic guy, you um, just went and and accepted the challenge, you know. And th- that's what boxing in my era was all about, you know, just going out there and just trying to win the world title fight. Um it's not like today where, you know, you made your pro debut and you're already expecting to be making a uh, million dollars in your first pro debut fight, you know, and that's just ridiculous. Uh, but, uh, you know, my era, um, it was a great, enjoyable moment because, again, we fought for to become world champions. Uh, nowadays, it's not about the belts. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's much more of a business these days, which is a downfall, really, in boxing. Um, did that loss turn you into a better fighter? Did you learn a lot from that loss now, looking back? Oh, absolutely. You know, just, I mean, just looking back at it, it's like, oh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that 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 definitely went wrong. It's okay. You know, it was my first world title uh, fight. Um, you know, Margarito had the better experience. He had the... Uh, you know, he has fought bigger fights before I did. Uh, but as a young uh, prospect fighter, I mean, you're going you're gonna to go through those through those, through those, those fights, you know, and that's how you get tested. You know, if either you have it or you don't. I, you know, that night, it wasn't my night. You know, uh, just after the fight, I was I was back in the, in the gym um, two days later. And, and uh, you know, I, I trained hard. Uh, I trained hard. I, I came back with the... Uh, I forget the guy that I fought right after Margarito just to get me back in the winning streak. Um, yeah, I felt good, you know. It was just uh, it was I was heartbroken, of course, because you know I wanted to win the world the world title um, that night. Um, as a fighter, you know that's a dream come true for for a lot of a lot of fighters that that come and 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 do the boxing. You know, it's just one of the reasons why we. We do boxing, you know. We 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 take that to, you know that that moment to to shine. And again, my, it wasn't my night to shine, and uh, it definitely a night that I was very heartbroken. And but you know, having a good good uh, team behind me, uh, very supportive family and uh, and team uh, that kept me up. 
Yeah, because you, you mentioned there you came back against Francisco Parra, but you were actually out of the ring for almost a year and a half following that defeat. I was going to ask, what kept you out of the ring for that, that period of time there? Oh, I had, uh, you know, I, I still, my, my hand was not uh, properly healed. Um, and, and and as time went on, you know, contract uh, with my promoter, uh, at that time it was main events, they had dropped me. So it was it was tough for me to uh, to get fights on top of that. Yeah, so like I said, when you returned, you bounced back with that win over Francisco Parra. Five months later, after that, you're back against David Estrada in Palm Beach, Florida. Now, Estrada had that record at the time of 18-2. and two. His two losses came to Ishe Smith and Shane Mosley via um, points decisions that he'd lost. However, you stop him in, in, in 10 rounds and made a bit of a statement that night, to be completely honest. That win would obviously get you another shot at a world title, this time for the vacant IBF welterweight world title against Mark Suarez. Um, October 28th, 2006, a, a night I'm guessing you'll never forget for the rest of your life, Kermit. Oh, uh, it was uh, it was a great night. You know, uh, that, that David Estrada fight was actually uh, a very, very tough competitive fight. I know, you know, David Estrada is a, a, a tough fighter. Um, but, uh, you know, it was one of the nights that I, I needed to be on my A game at all times. Um, at that time, I was with uh, Emmanuel Stewart. Um, you know, it just one of the nights that was a very, very important night. You know, I, I definitely needed to make a statement. Uh, the fight was on ESPN. It was, you know, t- it was televised. Um, and a lot of people watched it. And again, just it just one of the nights that I just needed to make sure that I performed my best. And and make the statement. And then yeah, like I say, the you know the big one, October twenty eighth, two thousand and six. Yeah, just tell me about the the night your dreams came to fruition. Obviously, that must have been a dream for you when you first ever put on a pair of gloves to become a world champion. You did it that night. Oh, it was a it was it was a good night for me. I mean, I I wish the fight was uh, shown um, on the on the regular networks. You know, TV, uh, you know, ESPN or HBO uh, or Showtime, um, but it was one at that time. The, the, I think the fight was shown on like um, on some uh, I don't know internet channel or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, it was a it was a come you know come true uh, for me. You know, it's just a a fight that definitely I will never forget. I know exactly what happened from the first round to the end of the, uh, to the. Uh, I think the fifth or sixth round, Six, yeah. and you know, just again, just uh, uh, it was an important night for me as I, you know, fell the first night for my world title fight, and I, you know, it was another a second chance uh, to fight for world title shot, and and I, I wanted to make sure that I came out of there uh, victorious, and you certainly did. Um, with a belt as well. Um, did your life change at all after that outside of the ring? Did life change much? Um, it, it changed a little bit. I mean, you know, um, I was definitely, you know, more well-known, uh, more people supported me, more people came up to me, you know, uh, I'm walking around the, out of the streets and stuff like that. So it, it changed a little bit for me. Um, but in regards to like, you know, I, I, I've stayed humble. I, I, one of the things that I never forget is where I came from. Um, so that's, that's, that's always kept me uh, humble to this day. Um, but, you know, it's, 
I know that uh, I I didn't want I, I didn't allow uh, being a world champion uh, changed me, and that's one that's one thing that you know I made sure that that didn't happen to me. Uh, a lot of fighters um, they they change right away and they lose focus, you know, um, and their careers never go the way they're supposed to. Um, so no, I, I'm you know I'm a home uh, homebody uh, type guy. Uh, I love being with my family. I love being with my wife and kids, um, and that's what I did. You know, for the most part, as a world champion, you know, I I just enjoy the moments with uh with my with my family, friends. Uh, that's pretty much it, man. Yeah, that's that's I support that 100. percent That's the way I'd do it if somehow I won a world title. <laughs> but um, you know, <laughs> nine months later, you you made your first defense against Walter Matisse. It took you only two rounds to stop him. No one ever knocked him out that quick before or after that night. Um, tell us about that again, Matisse. Um, it runs in that family. They can all punch. Uh, he, he's definitely a good puncher. Uh, not as hard as Teddy Reed, uh, but he was a good puncher. You know, I, you know, and the just getting trained by Manor Stewart. And you know, he's always had me uh, prepared. Uh, always had me focused. And and one thing about me, uh, still to this day, uh, I still think that you know um, I'm not done. I you know I feel like I still have a, a fight in me. Um, but I know that if I'm 100% focused, nobody can stop me. Nobody can beat me. I know that for a fact. I mean, I've, I've proven um, over and over. You know, when I'm 100%, nobody can beat me. Yeah, like I say, you went through Matisse like a hot knife through butter. Um, your second defense came against Jesse Feliciano um, in, in November of 2007. You stop him in 10 rounds. Do you remember much about your second defense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, first first right hand that I threw that I landed on top of his head. My very first right hand, I landed on top of the head. I broke my hand right there and then. Oh. And, you know, I I had to do what I had to do um, uh, to keep my, my belt. And, uh, you know, he makes it, makes it tougher when you have a tough opponent in front of you. But on top of that, you have a broken hand. You only got one hand to fight with. Um, so it made it tough for me. In regards to you know having that that broken hand, um, but you know I I did my part. Um, I came out of there victorious. You know again, Amanda Stewart always had me prepared, always had me focused. And one thing that I that I loved about Amanda Stewart, as soon as I I first round was over, I went to the corner. I told him that my hand was broken. Uh, he he made me forget about it. He didn't want to. He, he didn't ever wanted to hear nothing. You know so. Uh, that kept that kept my focus in in, 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 in my fight as well. So uh, you know that's that's just Emmanuel. You know he he's just, he's just a good trainer like that. Uh, just keeps you focused, uh, keeps you away from uh, thinking other other things that's happening in, in that ring. You know, everyone that's ever spent any time around Emmanuel. Um, you know anyone that's that's been trained by him? It's, it seems like a real privilege to to have his presence around during during fight you know fight night or in the gym or whatever. Everyone speaks so highly of him. Um, do you feel like he was probably or is probably the best trainer to to have ever lived? Because a lot of people would say he probably was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I know by far. Um, you know, I've met a lot of trainers and I've seen a lot of trainers uh, train fighters and no one is like Emmanuel Stewart you know there was days where like I, I could never understand it where there was days that 
I was in the gym swinging my butt off. Uh, there was days where um, I was in the gym with him, and uh, I was the day of sparring, and he had scheduled a sparring for 10 rounds, and he stopped it at two rounds. Knowing that I'm getting ready for a big fight, he was stopping at two rounds. Oh, that's it, no more. Uh, you you looking too sharp. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> you know. So I was always confused about those days like that. You know, it's like you go in there, you know, you gotta work, train hard. But then he he cuts that day that training uh, day short, very short, on you, and you always wonder why. But you know, he's the one with the experience, so you listen to your to 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 your trainer. You know, uh, and that's how Manistur is. You know, um, he just he's good like that. He if he sees that you're looking sharp, you know, he's going to pull out. He don't want you to overtrain, you know, and that's one of, that's one of the things that I've learned from him. You know, uh, you can't overtrain. You can't overtrain to, uh, to be, go into a fight and, and be overtrained. You're not going to perform your best. Yeah, I love hearing stories about the great man because uh, they're, they're just phenomenal. Like I say, one of the most... <laughs> the biggest and best influences on boxing in recent years, you know, be it inside oh, and outside of the ring. Absolutely. You know, and, and Hey, and, and keep the eye, keep, keep an eye on, on Javen Hill, Sugar Hill, mm-hmm. who's his nephew. Uh, and, uh, and also, uh, Jonathan Banks, those two guys, man, they, they're going to be great trainers, just like Amanda Stewart was. And they were both under, under Amanda Stewart. They were, they both learned the game. And, uh, you know, Javon Hill, he actually trained my, my fight. He, he worked my corner at the David Estrada because it managed through with, with, he was with, uh, Latimer Clisco in Spain. Um, so he couldn't make it, okay. uh, just in, in time for my fight. So Javon Hill, his, his nephew, uh, worked my corner and, and, you know, he, he just another managed through You know, I, I was comfortable, uh, just because, uh, you know, we, we've worked together before. Uh, so, but yeah, keep a, keep an eye on that on Javon Hill. Sure, they call him Sugar Hill, and then uh, and Jonathan Banks, which I'm sure you've heard of him as well. Those two guys been under Manor Stewart, and and it seems like they're going, they're heading the, the the right direction as trainers. Yeah, Sugar Hill obviously now working with Tyson Fury led him to that victory over. Yeah, absolutely, I mean. Yeah. Absolutely, and you see, and you see what happens, right? <laughs> He's a totally different fighter. And crazy. Uh, and yeah, Jonathan Banks has been on on this show uh, a few times in the past. Um, was was um, James Ali Bashir in the gym back back when you were with Emmanuel, or or not? Oh yeah, absolutely. James James is another guy, man. He's a great guy. He's one of those, those guys, man. You you always wanted to have around you because he he was just one of those guys that um, good trainer, absolutely. Uh, but Outside the ring, as a person, if you were if you felt down, where like, you know you just like that day you're down, you know, you're having a bad day. Ali, he was the man to be around because he always made you laugh. Yeah, I uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I second that. I uh, back in January of this year, actually, I was out in the states and uh, he was. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but he was working obviously the corner of. Um, uh, the 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 lady Ivana Habazin who was going to box Clarissa Shields. Do you know about that at all? Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I yeah. you know I, during the incident that happened uh, a few days later, you know I I I did reach out to uh, Bashir and you know he was okay. Yeah. He was upset, uh, but in, in, overall his health was okay. You know and that and that's all that matters. Uh, but yeah, just you know yeah. 
situations like that is what kills boxing, man. Yeah, no, definitely. But obviously, you know, that was when the fight was supposed to happen the first time around. When it got rescheduled, which again was was January this year, um, I, I was out there and. Uh, I spent probably about four hours on on fight day in in um, in Ali's in his hotel room with him, and we were all just speaking, and it was just I just shut up and listened because that guy knows so much. It's just honestly, he knows so much. Yeah. Really, he he knows the game from two inside out. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> honestly, it was a, it was a few hours that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. It was so brilliant to be with him. Um, yeah, back, back we we went off on a tangent there a little bit. Back onto your back onto your career. Obviously, your third defense of your world title wouldn't prove successful. Kermit, a rematch against your former foe, Antonio Margarito. Once again, he was able to get the stoppage win, this time in round six at the Boardwalk Hall in, in April 2008. Um, was he in some ways perhaps your boogeyman? Tell us about that night there. I could've, he could have been the boogeyman for him in my career. I don't know. Uh, but it was when I, it was that night that I, you know, I got away from my game plan, the game plan that Emmanuel Stewart had for me. You know, um, I went out of, you know, I went and did my own thing, uh, and I paid for it. I got caught, and you know that's that was on me. Um, no, there was no one to blame but myself. You know, I was I was very prepared for that fight. Uh, you know, I went in there, you just you know, my mind thinking I was gonna knock him out, um, and that's what I went for. I went for the knockout instead of just, you know, using my jab, sticking to the outside, uh, you know, with uh, full work. Like Amanda Stewart wanted me to, um, and again, you know, just uh, it was a fight that was on me. Uh, I can't blame my trainers. Uh, he had the great, the the, the proper uh, plan for me. I just didn't follow it. And, and again, um, I guess you can call him the the boogeyman. You know, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it, it's a shame because you know, two times I fought him before he got caught with with those loaded gloves. You know. And I know for a fact the second time when I fought him, I there and there's a quote out there that came out of my mouth that I that I said uh, in the interview that there was something in his gloves because I I've never felt any anything like it. Is out there, there's a quote out there that I say exactly those words and um, and here uh, you know a couple couple years later went by uh, and he he gets caught with with whatever he had in his, in his gloves. Wow! So that was before he got busted. That's that's incredible. That is incredible. Um, yeah, horrible, horrible. Um, you bounced back seven months later with a unanimous decision points win over former world champion and extremely, extremely tough um, Love More and Do in in Nashville, um, Tennessee. Before then, moving up in weight and boxing, Sergio Martinez for the interim WBC junior middleweight world title. The fight ends in a majority draw over twelve rounds. Very controversial. Um, talk us through that night there from your perspective, Kermit. Uh, it was a it was a very very uh, hard fight. Um, not just the fact that you know um, Martinez was a southpaw, but he was also slick, fast, and good footwork. Uh, so that made a, a, everything just was tough on my part. Um, but I felt that uh, I did enough uh, to win the fight. Uh, I'm I'm okay with the draw, um, but I felt like I did enough to to win the fight. Uh, I know that at one point he had dropped me. Um, it's not it's not a 
is not uh, uh, one of those those rounds where like I was hurt. Uh, I was more arguing with the with the ref as I was kneeling and, and listening to his count. Uh, I thought I me personally thought it was a headbutt. That's how hard he hit me. But I rewatching the fight, yeah, it was a punch. It was a clean uh punch that I you know I walked into. Uh it was more a punch that um than when he was throwing the punch. I was slipping to the same side that he was throwing the punch and I walked right into it. Uh and when you when you don't see that punch, yes, it's a punch that's gonna hurt. Um but Again, I was not dazed. I was not hurt. I, I mean, I, I knew where I was. Um, I, you know, a lot of people say that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't stand up uh, in time, but clearly I was. Um, it was a good fight. You know, good, good experience for both of us. You know, a, after my fight, you know, he, he, uh, he ended up becoming one of the best fighters, you know, um, in the in, in in our era. So, uh, you know, I can't, I can't complain in the fact that I went draw with one of the with one of the best fighters, you know, I think he'd be in, ended up be, becoming a, uh, I don't know if he was undisputed, but he had a couple belts on his, on his, on him, right? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. I think he was, I think, was he under, he might have been undisputed, I slipped my mind at the minute as well, but, you know, again, you, you moved up and wait for that fight as well, which, uh, you know, has to be mentioned. Um, after that, three months later, only three months later, you're back in with another big puncher, the the fifteen and zero undefeated Alfredo Angulo. At the time, you were you were able to outpoint him though over twelve rounds. That is when you return back to Puerto Rico. You defeat um, Juliana Ramos when when he retires on his store after five rounds in October two thousand and nine. What was it like to to go back home and put on a performance like that for your you know supporters back home? Um, you know, you know, honestly, after the Angula, after the Angola fight, my my career went downhill. Um, you know, I I think I did it. I had done enough in my career to have earned the bigger fights, the bigger paydays. Uh, but it was it was always promised. Oh, you win this fight, you get this this amount. You you win this fight, you get this amount. Well, after the 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 Martinez fight, you know, uh, I was I, I was promised to 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 make uh two million um and uh i figured what fight it was um but uh instead i fought angulo for an amount of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars okay after that fight i was promised if i had went, won that fight i was definitely going to be making a couple million dollars well after that fight uh i ended up fighting it was more of a tune-up fight it was not it was you know, it was not a challenging fight whatsoever. It was not a big fight. It's not a, a fight that I that I really wanted. Um, but um, at the time, they wanted to keep me busy, uh, and I took it. But after the Martin, after the Angula fight, my my motivation in boxing just like kind of like just went down down out the door. You know, I, I wasn't motivated as, as much anymore uh, as I was before. Yeah, and um, again, you know, after the the Angulo fight, and after, um, after you know the, the the homecoming in Puerto Rico, that's when things get real crazy. I rewatched it back. Um, I rewatched it back today, May eighth, two thousand and ten, at the Home Depot Center in Carson, California. You boxed Paul Williams, a man you were supposed to unify with, but that fight never ended up happening when you were both champions at welterweight. Um, here you are, though, boxing him at the weight above in a non-title bout. 
Um, the fight just ends under the most bizarre circumstances. I, again, rewatched it today, but I still can't quite understand how how you even fell out of the ring that hard. It, it, it was crazy. It was like an invisible person pushed you. Uh, what can you remember about that night there? Like I say, crazy. Oh, yeah, I remember that, the night. Uh, you know, it was a... It was a great night. I felt good. Um, I felt that I was uh, winning the fights from the first through the fourth round. I don't know, third round, whatever it was. I, I was um, I was counting him, counter punching him easily. I figured I was. I, I felt like I was outscoring him easily. Um, he was at one point. I know he was hurt, and that that day that I was hurt. I mean, he was hurt. Um, that night, uh, where I, I clearly caught him with a, a good right hand, and he was hurt. Now uh, you could tell in the fight that he was hurt. Um, so we had tangled up, and I know at that time uh, he had bent down just a little bit, where I could like put my forearm behind his head and press down on him. Because I, it matter, when the one thing Amanda Stewart had taught me was that you know you can do that, make those guys tired like that, make their legs uh, more fatigued. So I did that. You know that's one thing that 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 I kept um, that I learned from Amanda Stewart, and um, so after that situation happened, uh, he 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 must he fell from all the pressure that I was putting on him. He fell down, and and with the pressure that I had on him, when he fell down, it just took my momentum um, away that I couldn't I just couldn't really control myself, uh, and that's how I just uh, fell out the ring. I absolutely, I, uh, I, when I fell out, uh, I hit a, a TV monitor on the side of my, on my back, side of a rib back area and knocked the wind out of me. Um, so then, I, after that, I was, uh, I believe I landed on the floor and, um, so I, I'm gasping for air. Like I knew where I was. I was not hesitating. I, there was no hesitation in me at all. I was just trying to, you know, catch uh, my breath and, um, and at that time, I, had, I know a, a, a doctor had uh, come up to me and asked me if if I was ready to continue. Well, I'm I'm over here focusing on on catching my breath, and he's asking me if I if I was ready to continue. Well, my answer at the time was uh, no. He he asked me uh, three times, and the third time, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. And at that time, he had waved the fight on me. I tried to stand up. He had pinched me down uh, with his knee. He pinched me down where I he didn't want me to get up. Uh, here he was, you know, concerned that I had a punctured lung, you know, uh, head injury, a neck injury. I mean, it was it was a it was a BS move on the doctor's um, part. Uh, I think it had everything to do with uh, him working for Al Heyman. Al Heyman knew that that night. Um, he was gonna get knocked out, or Paul Williams. Paul Williams was gonna get knocked out that night for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I say, a real bizarre way um, to to end a fight, and it was a great shame, really, because like I say, you were supposed to box a welterweight. It would have been a unification. You box, you know, quite a while after non-title bout, and then just as it's kind of heating up, if you like, it, it ends like that. And uh, yeah, you were mad as hell when they put you in that stretcher. Looking back, you were you you were going crazy. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, they, they, I don't understand why they couldn't give me. Um, from what I remember, I, I think I had five minutes to, to, you know, uh, and, and to get him back into the ring. Yeah. 
you know, um, and it's a shame, you know, and I know, and I know for a fact that they, they had, I'm, I'm telling you, they had changed the scorecards. I know for a fact they had changed the scorecards because you don't have, a, you don't have one judge have it 40 to 36 and then one judge having it, you know, to, to Paul Williams and then one judge or two judges have it for Paul Williams. I think it was a BS move. And I'm telling you, it had everything to do with Al Heyman. You know, Al Heyman had uh, Paul Williams. Uh, that's his that's his mentor, manager, whatever he is um, today to 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 the to the fighters advisor. I don't know. Um, he's got so many so many uh, uh, titles under 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 him. I don't know what to uh, call him: promoter, manager, advisor, what. <laughs> but I, in my opinion, I think he had everything to do with it. Have you ever seen the film The Usual Suspects? Uh, no, I have not. Uh, okay. There's a character in The Usual Suspects called... Um, it's going to be kind of pointless me telling you this now, but if you ever watch the film one day, I, I call Al Heyman the uh, the uh, the Kaiser <laughs> the Kaiser Soze of boxing because there was a character in the, the Usual Suspects called Kaiser Soze who... It's a long story, but basically he was uh, kind of like, um, I guess, this really... Everyone was really scared of this guy. He was like at the top of the mafia chain, but no one had ever even seen him. And in the end, it turned out he didn't even exist. <laughs> everyone was working for this yeah. invisible man, you know? Um, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Because we had to uh, text me that. Yeah. That way uh, I had something I, I can remember, and uh, I can probably rent it or... You know, watch it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the classic films. But I will warn you, if you watch it, nothing in it makes sense at all until, like, the last minute of the film. Then it all comes together (laughs) and it ends beautifully. It's really good. Oh, that's always always the best movies, man. There you go. So definitely watch that one. Um, You're out the ring for for 14 months after that before stepping back in against uh, the eventual IBF junior middleweight world champion Carlos Molina. The fight took place back at the Home Depot Center in Carson, California. Again, more bad luck for you this time. You lost the unanimous decision over 10 rounds. What do you remember of that night there, Kermit? Like I said to you, man, I, I was already, I was sick of, I was sick of uh, boxing, you know. Now, now I wasn't as motivated anymore. Again, you know, after the pole, uh, after the, uh, the 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 Angola fight, my motivation for boxing was gone. Uh, I was just doing it because, you know, I I just loved, I love fighting, um, you know, and I I didn't do it for the money, you know. Um, it's just one of the things I just I just I just like love fighting, uh, and I love the sport of boxing. Uh, but when it comes to my career, you know, I just, I just, the motivation just wasn't there anymore. Um, you know, Molina, I, I, he was a sparring partner of mine when I was getting ready for, uh, oh, I think it was for uh, Margarito. You know, I, I know that if I was there 100%, I could have easily knocked him out. Okay, that's a statement because he's, uh, he's still going now. He actually boxed on the weekend, believe it or not, in, in Mexico. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So just four weeks after that, you're you're back in the ring in Missouri against Antoine Smith. You beat him unanimously over ten, and then three months later, is when you box arguably the biggest and best boxer in the sport today, Canelo Alvarez. Obviously, you know a young kid at the time. The fight takes place in Mexico for the WBC junior middleweight world title. However. On this occasion, you stopped in five rounds. What was it like to fight someone like Canelo? Even though you know back then he wasn't as good as what he is today, um, it's still a phenomenal fighter back then. In all, in all honest, um, you know I, I I fought better oppositions. 
uh, again, you know, um, I I fought bigger punchers. Uh, Teddy Reed was a bigger puncher than he is than he was at that time. Uh, and then again, he was only a kid. I think he was like 20, 21 years old yeah. uh, when I fought him. Um, you know, uh, Sergio Martinez, to me, in my opinion, he's a better slicker fighter than uh, than Canelo was at at that time um, as well. Um, again, it just went in them nights that again I. My my manager was able to get me that fight. I didn't ask for it. I just it just was it was just handed to me, you know. Um, and I guess when you don't try, I guess everything is you know false in front of you. Uh, that's a fight that I took in three weeks' notice. Uh, I fought in his hometown uh, in Mexico City or whatever wherever the the fight was. Um, I was not impressed with him in regards to. Back then, I was not. Today, I am impressed with him. Uh, but back then, I wasn't. Um, at that time, I didn't feel like he was a, a big puncher. Like, people made him sound like he was. He was strong, but not the biggest puncher uh, they, make, they made him look to be. Uh, but overall, I see him today. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm impressed with him. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't not be. He really is probably the, the number one or number two pound-for-pound pound guy. Um, after that Canelo fight, you know, you, you're out the ring for, for another, you know, fairly long time. I think it was 16 months before coming back against um, Adrian Granados in Chicago. The fight ends in a split draw. Did you feel you did enough to get the decision that night? Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I think I dominated every round except to maybe. I gave him four rounds at, at most. Um, and... You know, it just—it was a ridiculous uh, decision. Um, again, I, I thought I clearly beat him, um, but a draw is a draw. Whatever it is, what it is, um, how they have it a draw—I don't know. I guess because he was—that's his hometown. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I was def- definitely disgusted with with the decision. But again, you know, it's it's boxing, and if you leave it up to the judges, you're gonna get screwed. Yeah. Um... Yeah, Granados, you know, he was involved in a few decisions that I felt he should have actually got the decision at times, but that was probably one which, you know, he was probably lucky to get a draw. Um, yeah, so so just whizzing through the, the final stages um, of your fights pretty quickly here, you, you then embark on a six-fight win streak, despite taking a two-year hiatus in between fights two and three. Uh, you then had that technical draw against David Grayton in 2017 when the fight got stopped due to an accidental head clash. Uh, you were you were in the ring just three months later against Tyrone Brunson. That's the guy you were, I think, thinking about when we talked about big punchers. Oh. Um, that, uh, to this day, he's probably, he's probably the biggest puncher. Yeah, because that, <laughs> that, that was a very... Uh, that was a very... Strong. Sorry, go on. He was strong. He was strong, and he definitely was powerful. Definitely could punch. Absolutely. It's a shame that uh, his career didn't go further than what it, than what it has uh, because he's a fighter that definitely could have been in trouble as he was with me. He was definitely in trouble in every round and he just punches luck, you know, I guess is what you want to call it. Yeah, because you had him down twice in the fourth and then he had you down, I think, three times in the fifth. Is that right? Uh, that's correct, yeah. Definitely twice. Uh, and the, the the third knockdown was more of a push. 
uh, than anything else. And, and, and of course, you know, the ref is, is looking out uh, for your health. Yeah. So um, he, he definitely, uh, you know, uh, stopped the fight prematurely, in my opinion. But uh, I got to give it to uh, Tyrone Bronson. He definitely um, came, came to win. And then, um, you know, in your final fight, a no contest after three rounds when you were cut due to an accidental headbutt against Marcus Taylor in February uh, 2018. So it's been over two years now, but you you don't really sound like you're officially done. Um, I see a tweet that you tweeted out um, a few weeks back, you know, saying that you'd come back to box a list of names. Is it really just that list of names? Like, are you... I mean, what, what, where's your head at right now? Are you thinking about fighting again, or will it just be for those guys? Uh, I would, I would listen. Listen, I'm, I'm only, I'm only 40 years old. I'm a guy that started at the age of 19. Mm-hmm. I don't have the, my body's not beaten down like have other fighters have. Um, I feel great. I feel like I'm 25 years old. Uh, I know that if I'm, I'm 100. percent I know I can get back on. on, on on top, get get back in the rankings. Uh, I just need uh, a, a fight that will get me back in the rankings, and 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 definitely would uh you know uh, definitely could, could make more noise in in in, in the boxing world. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm also uh, um, in discussions with uh, introducing to uh, to MMA. Um, there's there's been offers out there for me. Uh, Bellator has offered me uh, a few fights. It just, you know, it's a shame because I was supposed to fight in March, and all this happened, so that all, that everything got screwed uh, with making my my MMA debut. But um, I definitely will come back to to boxing uh, if I can just get a guy that's top fifteen. Uh, even I don't care if it's number fifteen, number fourteen, number thirteen, doesn't matter. Uh, just the guy that's that's ranked, uh, get me back in the rankings, um, and I could definitely make more noise. And, and I just need listen. I just need some motivation. That's all. Just need some a little bit of motivation to get back in there, and and, and I can I can definitely make some more noise in, in boxing. And coming down to the final few questions, Kermit, uh, I, I like to ask this. I like to ask, who has been the biggest puncher you've ever faced? You kind of answered it already. It's out of Brunson and. Um... And um, gosh, forgot his name for, for a Teddy Reed. There we go. Yeah, Teddy Reed. One of those guys. Ah, uh, definitely Tyron Bronson. Definitely. Okay. And um, who would you say is the best opponent you've faced? I think you're going to probably say Sergio Martinez. Uh, Sergio Martinez, hundred uh, percent. And um, during, you know, during like your, I guess, best stages of your career. Um, when you were motivated, when you were on form, when you were a reigning world champion, was there anyone that you wish you'd have had the opportunity to fight, but it never quite happened? Uh, Miguel Cotto. Miguel Cotto was a fight that 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 should that should have happened. It's a fight that should have happened. I mean, no, there was no no uh, no excuses uh, for any other promoters that had us uh, not to make that fight. And um, so far, again, I, I usually ask this question to guys that have, you know, retired. It's been a few years. They're definitely not going to fight again, but you're, you're still a little bit on the fence at the minute. Have you got any regrets? Any regrets? If you could go back in time and change something, have you got any regrets? 
I think that uh, I think that I should have went and um, uh, I, I regret not taking the the uh, the Paul Williams fight. Uh, the, 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 in the beginning, it was, where it was there was talk to um, to fight for the world title. He he had the WBO and I had the IBF. Um, but uh, there was a, there was two there was two uh, offers for me. One was the Paul Williams fight, and uh, for the two world title fights. Uh, we'll, we'll fight for the two belts, his belt, my belt, or um, have fought and rematch with Margarito. But of course, you know me being big-headed in regards to in regards to being uh, a very very competitive athlete, I went with the guy that I, that I lost to. Uh, but I think I should have went with the with the Paul Williams fight. Uh, I know I had no doubts that I I would have knocked that guy out. And my career would have went maybe a, a different route. Who knows? Good question here. That I'm going to kind of put you on the spot for a little bit. We like to ask this one to everyone that we speak to from overseas, Kermit. Um, who comes to mind when I ask, who's your favorite fighter from the UK? People like to hear this one. Oh, man, from the UK? Um, man, there's a, there's a few fighters, man. Uh, Kalzaki was uh, – not, not Kalzaki. um uh yeah. Jesus. Yeah, uh, was he was he was he's from the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well Kyle Zaki was one of them. Uh I liked I me mean, personally like Ricky Hatton. I just I just loved his, his uh ring entrance. <laughs> um you know, he's a good good character. Uh I love his I I just love his personality, you know. Um I mean it's there's there's a lot of good fighters, man, from the UK. A lot of good fighters. But one guy that I don't have the respect to that I wish I would have fought was Amir Khan. <laughs> I, I still want to hit. I just want to punch him in the mouth, man. He doesn't shut up. <laughs> no, I'm a fan of Amir. I like Amir, but that's a, that's a dangerous fight, man. You you punch too hard for, for Amir. He gets a good fight. Uh, he just he just doesn't know when to stop, man. Just just fight. You know, I, I'm the type of guy that I don't talk. I just go in there and just you know accept whatever fight is in front of me and, and I fight. Uh, he's a guy that I just can't stand his interviews, man. That's all. Uh, as a fighter, I respect him. He goes in there and he does his thing. But outside of the ring, doing interviews, uh, man, I, I can't, man. I, I, I love to fight, uh, to fight him, definitely. I think I called him out a couple of times, but, you know, I never, I've never heard anything. Okay. And um, I want to ask you this as well, Kermit. Obviously, like I say, it's been a couple of years. You've been inactive. What's kept you busy during this time? What's got you out of bed? Man, with this pandemic situation that's happening, uh, you know, my, I got my kids, man. I got to take care of my kids. Um, uh, right now, you know, they're, they're, they're all, they're all athletic, very, very, you know, athletic uh, kids. Uh, my, my oldest daughter, uh, Savannah, she just graduated from high school. Uh, she'll be swimming in college. She's got nice, uh, good scholarship that she'll be going to, um, uh, and, and she's going to be swimming in college. Uh, I have my, my middle child, Denali. Uh, she's a great volleyball player. And, um, and my son Clemente, which I, I named him after Roberto Clemente. Uh, and he, he was, he was born to play baseball. That kid is, he just unbelievable. Very, very athletic. Uh, just reminds me of me as a kid. Um, very good pitcher, a good good hitter, um, good outfielder. Any position you put him in, he'll 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 play that position. Um, but uh, you know, it's my kids is what gets me up every morning, man. Just go out there with them and and, and do whatever. 
I need to do uh, to take care of my kids. But with this pandemic situation, man, my wife has me working here at home, uh, just, you know, remodeling, renovating uh, my entire house, uh, work that I've never done before. Uh, I'm doing it, you know, uh, first time doing it. And so far, the jobs that I've done, they've turned out awesome. So, um, but yeah, man, my, my kids is what get, getting me up, making me up, get up in the mornings and, and, and be motivated, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Good on you. And uh, well done with the uh, the DIY stuff around the house. It's not for everyone. Um, are you, no. Just out of curiosity, where you, you had uh, bad luck at the Home Depot Center, are you going to Home Depot for the supplies for DIY? Please don't go there. <laughs> Bro, that's exactly where I go, Home Depot. <laughs> I hope they'd be giving you a exactly discount. Where I go. <laughs> Yeah, right, you wish. <laughs> and just finally, Kermit, yeah. um, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners before we before we wrap it up, my friend, um, you know, obviously, guys out here in the UK know exactly who you are, I've supported you for years and years. What's your message to those supporters from this side of the pond? Uh, man, I want, you know, I know I know that overseas, man, there, there's always bigger fans than people here in the United States are. Um, you know, I've gotten letters, all over the world, UK, you name it, um, Germany, I mean, you name it, all over the world, man, uh, overseas. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate every fan, every supportive that have been there and been rooting for me all these years. Um, I know for a fact, I know I have a few more fights in me. I would love to fight in the UK um, or overseas anywhere. Uh, one of these days it's always been been one of my goals one of my dreams and hopefully you know hopefully it'll happen I mean you know um, I love to get back in the in the ring um, but this time at 168 pounds uh, I know there's there's good fighters out there 168 pounds in the UK that um that I'll be willing to uh, step in the ring with and I, I just think we, we can make it happen it's just the promoters promoters gotta uh, make the fights happen, you know. Uh, I'm I'm down to any fight in the UK or anywhere in the U, um, in the overseas uh, at 168 pounds. You know, uh, I know there's a lot of fighters out there in the UK that are are, are good. Uh, Eubank is one of them. That's uh, that's a good fighter. Um, uh, 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 I think it's Fielding. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. isn't, he from, isn't he from the from the, from the UK as well? Yeah. yeah. And those are guys that I would love to fight, you know, over overseas on their their hometown. Uh, it'd be a great experience for me. Um, you know, it's, it definitely uh, it can happen. It's just up to the promoters to uh, make things happen for me. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, if you ever come out here to the UK, you'll be you'll be received very well by the British public. They they appreciate a good fighter. But listen, Kermit, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing your career this week. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope we can speak again real soon. Absolutely, Joey. Thanks so much, man, for reaching out and um, getting me back on the air, man. Appreciate that. And again, you know, the fans out there in the UK, man, shout out to you guys. You guys are, you guys are the best when it comes to uh, fans, that's for sure.
Okay, and this wraps up episode 244 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. The former heavyweight world title challenger, Eddie Chambers, has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former IBF welterweight world champion, Kermit Sintron. There has been a break of news. We spoke about it earlier on in the show in the preview part. We discussed the fight card that's taking place later tonight, Jose Pedraza against Mikel Lespierre. Well, um, I think it was Les Pierre's trainer that's tested positive for COVID-19. So that fight has completely fell through. Instead, the Gabriel Flores and Josec Ruiz fight has been elevated to the main event. So that's big news there. That's a real shame. That was set to be a good fight. Um, Frank Warren today has announced that he is coming back with three British title fights. Um, the first one's going to take place on the 10th of July. It's a Friday. It's taking place inside the BT Sports studio. Um, the first fight is going to be Brad Foster defending his British title against James Beach. Um, and the second, you know, the second British title fight and the third, we're still waiting on dates for that, but it's going to be um, Anthony Kakachi against Leon Woodstock, that'd be a good fight, and then Lerone Richards against Umar Sadiq, so good fights to look forward to there, um, it's going to be good to see Frank Warren back on July 10th, like I say, it's a Friday evening, um, yeah, that, that's about everything really, uh, this has been podcast number 13, um, during this 13-week lockdown period so far. So, 13 weeks of lockdown, 13 podcast episodes, and you've heard 13 different world champions' voices on this podcast since then. Thank you all for listening. Once again, making this podcast what it is. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we welcome you all back again next week.